I am Joel McLeod. I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the 905er. A little while ago, a tweet caught my attention. It was from the Halton Police Twitter account, and it said, We are in the midst of a drug poisoning emergency. In the last 86 days, our officers have responded to 103 suspected overdoses, and the community has lost 13 loved ones to substance use or misuse so far this year. These are not statistics. These are lives. This caught our attention. While we have been focused on the pandemic for the last few years, there has also been an epidemic of opioid overdoses happening in our own backyard. We wanted to get some insight into this other public health crisis that's happening here in the 905. So we thought we'd reach out to the man in charge of the organization that is trying to raise the alert of the public. Chief Steve Tanner was born in Oakville and has been a long, has had a long career in policing. Starting in 1982, he started working for the Halton PD and he has since gone on to serve as Deputy Chief of Guelph, Belleville, later the Chief of Police for Belleville, and later the Chief of Police for Kingston. In January 2012, he was appointed by the Governor General of Canada as an Officer of the Order of Merit of the Police Services. As well, that year he became Chief of Police for Halton and has remained there ever since. Today, we invited on Chief Tanner to join us and discuss the opioid crisis and what steps the Halton Police are taking to address it and what more can be done publicly to ensure the safety of all people in the 905. Thank you and enjoy. Welcome, Chief Steve Tanner of Halton Regional Police uh, to the 905 podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation and my privilege to be here. So to start off, can you just give us an idea of how the opioid epidemic is is uh, affecting our region in Halton and the 905? Yeah, you know, we've. Re- I mean, this epidemic's been going on for a while now, and uh, it's probably been overshadowed media-wise by COVID nineteen for a whole number of different reasons. Um, but it's a it's an ongoing epidemic. It's uh it's at critical levels here in Halton as well as across the GTA and and across the country. I mean, we're we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of overdoses. And I'll give you an example. In the last well, in the last uh, three months, over the first three months of 2022, we had 111 overdoses and 14 deaths. And those are just the incidents that the Halton Regional Police responded to. So there may be others that the paramedics dealt with or hospitals dealt with. Um, So those are just Halton Police numbers. So maybe it's twice that or there's other overdoses that, you know, aren't brought to the attention of the police and people survive, thankfully, uh, in those instances. But if you go back over the past 27 months, it's over 700 overdoses just in Halton region that the police have responded to and 104 deaths that we know of uh, and probably more because sometimes there's some toxicology issues with the uh, Center of Forensic Science and being able to to prove that it was an opioid death. So the numbers are really astronomical when you think about that level of impact just in the Halton region. Yeah, I was just wondering um I mean, you're talking just Halton police numbers responding to uh, to this, and I just kind of want to give our listeners a sense of what, are, what like when it, when a Halton police officer is called in to respond to the situation. What can, can I can you kind of give us a, a, a I want to put us in this in the in the the footprints of a of a Halton police officer. Like, what are they thinking 
when they're responding to this because I'm going to, I'm suspecting that what a Halton police officer is preparing in their mind on the, when they're responding to the call and what the average public has in their mind are going to be two very different things. And I just want to throw that open to you. Yeah. And you know, there's probably a range, Joel, because um, calls come in in different ways. Uh, sometimes it comes in from a family member or a friend. Uh, a friend may know that the person was using drugs, so it might come in as a potential overdose. Other times it might come in as an unconscious person, unknown problems. Um, someone appears to be unconscious and not breathing. So we, I mean, we took the extra step now years ago and we were one of the first police services in Ontario to give naloxone to all of our frontline members. Um, there was a bit of a debate about that at the time uh, because medical aid is not the first priority for police officers always. Uh, we have our paramedics, but often the police, because we're out in the community 24 hours a day, often we're the first ones that get to these types of calls. So I think it was a very prudent decision on behalf of the service to to give all of our members naloxone. So sometimes they have a good idea that it may be an overdose when they're responding to the calls, and sometimes it's totally unknown, and they have to uh, gauge sort of the symptoms that the, the person is exhibiting at the time and, and choose to administer naloxone or not. The good thing about naloxone is it's not harmful. Um, so if there's an unconscious person mm-hmm. who has not overdosed on opioids or fentanyl, it's not harmful to give them naloxone. That, that's a very, uh, that's a blessing for sure. When you're responding, I, I guess I, I want to give our listeners a kind of a sense of, because I'm going to, I'm going to su- suspect that some are thinking these are junkies. They're, they're, you know, they, they, everybody has that stereotypical view in their head of a drug user, especially when you get to the level of overdose. And I know you can't, I know you can't give specifics, but maybe a general sense of who are the, who are the people that your, that the police officers are responding to who, when they're, when you're getting a call in, are they expecting junkies? Are they expecting what, or is it just a complete shock here to you? Yeah. You know, really it can be anybody. We've had uh, professionals who are professional individuals in their forties, fifties, sixties that have overdosed. Um, so it's not the, you know, the stereotype is probably what we see on the streets of Vancouver with heroin, uh, where people are, uh, you know, lined up down alleyways and they're injecting uh, heroin into their veins directly and IV drug use. So it really uh, runs the gambit of uh, addictions and mental health issues. And often mental health ties in with addictions. And and we also have uh, a number of overdoses. And it would be surprising to probably to the public sometimes, not to us. We have a number of overdoses that are inside the Maplehurst Correctional Facility. Um, so inmates who are still able to obtain fentanyl and different drugs while they're in prison. Uh, there's a variety of ways that that's possible. Um, but we have a number of overdoses and even deaths of inmates in the correctional facility at Milton. So it's it's all ages. Uh, it's professionals. It's young people experimenting. Um, sometimes it certainly is people that are taking drugs and they might think it is something different and they don't know that it, it's fentanyl. So the thing with fentanyl, the way that we had it described to us early on. Um, you know, when you buy a pharmaceutical drug, every tablet is exactly the same uh, because they are so professionally made and mixed and, and you know that there's 50 milligrams in a in an aspirin. Uh, with fentanyl, it's basically a, like a grain, the smallest grain of sand and they're not mixed well. So if you get a, a tablet that has 
two grains of sand in it instead of one, that's probably fatal. And you don't know where the stuff is coming from. Uh, you don't know where it's manufactured, whether it's a lab in Mexico or China or, or made here in Canada. Um, so that's the danger with this drug is it's so volatile and so strong. And there is no, the people don't have any idea what they're actually ingesting. Obviously, uh, are, are a percentage of these uh, opioid deaths a result of intentional actions by people or, or, or is it more a case of, of uh, recreational drug use going wrong? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's certainly, sadly, there, there are far too many suicides and attempt suicides. Um, sometimes those are by uh, consuming different drugs. I'm not so sure that people intentionally commit suicide as often with fentanyl if they're that type of drug user. Um, but it's possible. The other thing that happens, though, which is even more scary, Roland, is we know of individuals who purposely take too much fentanyl just so they do overdose and technically die knowing that there's somebody there with them to give them naloxone and bring them back um it's a bizarre behavior which many people will never understand um but it's sort of described by some people and some people in the the medical field of that you know optimal uh feeling of of high i guess and uh so there are people who intentionally overdose on fentanyl thinking that someone is going to be there to bring them back. Uh, if that's successful, you know, they survive and, and great, I suppose. But uh, what if that person isn't, uh, you know, doesn't administer naloxone timely enough or or they're also taking drugs? And uh, so there's so many things uh, that can go wrong. And the, the, as I said, this drug is so powerful and so unpredictable and people don't know what the quantity is um, that that's the risk and and when you see some of the messaging that our corporate communications people put out in social media that that often is when we've had three or four overdoses in a very short period of time maybe in one part of one of our cities uh, so it's kind of we're trying to send the signal that there might be some really extra bad stuff out there and, and uh, be careful but not everyone's watching our twitter feed so um, you know, we can't reach everyone and tell them that this is dangerous, unfortunately. Obviously, as, as police, uh, your primary role is, is law enforcement. So uh, when, you, when you're in these kinds of situations where someone has, has overdosed uh, on an illegal uh, drug, how do you proceed in those kind of situations? Is, is it a matter of uh, making sure the person gets to hospital and, the, and but then also prosecuting them or... or, uh, or What's the actual uh, procedure in, in, in cases like that? Yeah, you know, there's something, and it was a good thing that uh, the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police, we kind of lobbied for uh, and then supported government on something that's called the Good Samaritan Act. So uh, we, I can tell our your listeners that uh, we have never laid a charge against somebody when we've been called for an overdose type of situation for sim- what I would call simple possession. Um so sometimes when you get into differentiating between possession of a drug, no matter what it is, and trafficking or uh, possession for the purpose of trafficking is obviously larger quantities. So the point of this act is when we're called to uh, a scene of an overdose or a death and there's other people there and there are drugs present, fairly small quantities, more, more of that personal use sort of quantities, then we do not lay 
charges to bring people before the criminal courts or the drug courts uh, for possession. If there was a huge amount of drugs there, then that would be different. And there would probably be trafficking or possession for the purpose of trafficking charges. Um, but that's not what we're there for. We're, we're there really as a, a human service, uh, first responders um, to save people. And we administer naloxone in many, many of those, you know, 111 overdoses so far this year and uh, end up our officers probably saving those people's lives. And some of them come back and thank us. Uh, yeah, it's rare, but uh, there, there is, uh, you know, notes and calls of thanks for people that have been saved. And I, I think that message has to get out uh, from some of those people that, you know, I was, th- I was lucky enough that the police or the EMS got here in time. Don't do this to yourselves. Um, what you're describing seems to me a bit like a band-aid solution to a much larger problem that is of addiction and mental health in our communities. And again, a lot of this, I think, comes down to it falls on the shoulders of police services, not just in Halton, but I think across the country that, you know, what, things go bad. Oh, call the police, regardless of the situation. And I think yeah, you might have a unique insight, insight for this uh, next question, but what would you like to see change maybe in terms of policy from provincial or federal governments towards this, uh, this epidemic in our, in our country. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about that a little bit, uh, just the hour before we got together here this morning, Joel, and it's, you know, there is talk of, um, as we all know, they, uh, legalized marijuana. Uh, there's a great debate around that. Um, I think it was helpful in some ways. Personally, I always thought it should have been decriminalized not necessarily legalized. There's a whole, you know, tax component to that, uh, quite frankly, more than uh, public health and welfare. Uh, I'm not opposed to marijuana, and uh, and I and I think there are some good reasons for it to be um, more lawful than it was before. There's no reason to have a 15, 16 year old kid uh, with a criminal record because he had two joints of marijuana. That's uh, that that happened in uh, you know the 1980s and 90s when I started. Uh, started policing. But there is talk of, you know, the potential to legalize all drugs. Um, some countries have done that. Uh, it does not take, one thing for readers to recognize, it does not take organized crime out of those drugs. Uh, the Hells Angels, the uh, traditional organized crime mafia groups still make millions of dollars from marijuana. Uh, they will always make money from drugs like fentanyl and heroin and cocaine as well. Uh, the Colombian Mexican cartels are, are alive and well. But there, the, there's a downside, I think, to legalizing all drugs as well, because there there is a deterrent, at least there is some deterrent, not not for everyone. I mean, if you're truly addicted, um, the fear of being caught uh, is not a deterrent. But I think for a certain percentage of people in our society, our region or uh, elsewhere, I think there's a certain amount of deterrent if it is illegal that they might not try it. Um, if you legalize things like fentanyl and heroin and cocaine, uh, it sort of takes some of that deterrent away. And I, and I sort of have this fear that more people will experiment with it. Um, and then there's going to be more overdoses and more deaths. So it's kind of a catch 22, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there's no reason to take a truly addicted person or a person suffering from various mental illnesses and addiction into a criminal court because they had a small amount of any drug. Um, your answer there opened the door in my head to a number of other questions. Um, and I, I, I'm not here to advocate for legalization of 
drugs because I'll be honest, that's way outside my my purview. I, I'm not I'm not educated enough on that to have one opinion one way or the other. But what I do what I did want to touch upon was you had mentioned things like you know the Hell's Angels, uh, Mexican cartels, which I think everyone listening and you include say those are the real bad guys. Those are the guys that poli- our police services should be targeting to dismantle their organizations and their networks in in the country. Yeah. Yet. I find time and time again, Halton Police as well as other police services are being that we're hearing more about you guys going into homes or places of business because of these overdoses. And it's this; it, it just seems like we're taking our eye off the ball. You know, like your 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 service to the social good isn't to go and treat somebody suffering from addiction. Your goal really should be going into dismantle Hell's Angels organized crime efforts in our communities. That I think that's the real. That, that, that should be where our, our efforts in terms of really combating crime should be. And I'm just getting, can we maybe comment on just that, you know, how, how can we shift our focus away from treating the individual who has an addiction to really going after, you know, honestly, the bad guys uh, in, on, in, in, in our country? Yeah, you know, it's, it's always a balance for us, right? It's, uh, there are people in, in uh, you know, throughout Halton who think the major issue is traffic and bad driving. And that's true too and so we need to have highway traffic act enforcement and while our frontline officers normally our uniform officers may be responding to these overdoses we also have special units and investigative units and drugs and human trafficking uh, specialists who are working on that full time Uh, so interestingly enough i mean between 2020 and 2021 those 24 months uh, our investigations and our officers took over 15 kilograms of uh, fentanyl out of the hands of criminals, uh, drug dealers, and sometimes uh, users. Um, and there's huge amounts. Uh, uh, in 2021 alone, there was over 50 kilograms of cocaine uh, seized here in Halton. Back in 1990, 91, uh, when I was in Halton the first time, in the sort of drug intelligence area, we seized one kilogram of cocaine. That was the largest amount we had, had actually seen in Halton at that time. Now we're talking about 50 kilograms uh, in one year. And I think it's it's interesting because at least the courts have started to realize the dangers of fentanyl. Uh, and I'll just give you a, a couple of quick examples. What we've had uh, in 2020 and 21 and 2021, we had two individuals who were trafficking in, in fentanyl who were sentenced to 15 and 13 years in jail. So it's not... Uh, you know, two less a day. It's uh, these people uh, have trafficked large quantities of the most dangerous drug we know of, and people are dying. And so the courts are giving good sentences in those cases. So, so those are major investigations. Uh, sometimes joint forces between Halton and other uh, neighboring police services, and and also large forfeitures of of money and uh, and property. In that one case, the individual uh, was sentenced to thirteen years and also forfeited $720,000 in, in cash uh, and other property. So those are the sorts of people that, that we are also targeting. It's just different people that are doing that work. And I take it these uh, opioids are overwhelmingly manufactured abroad and then imported into Canada. Is that right? Yeah, you know, it's interesting with uh, with some drugs, they, they can't be manufactured here. Uh, I have a, a friend that was with the Canadian Border Security Agency and and they also, they often reminded us when you are seizing cocaine, at some point it came across our border. Uh, so we need to, for cocaine and heroin 
mainly. Um, we need to think about our borders and how it's getting in here. But fentanyl is manufactured. That's why it's a synthetic opioid. Uh, so it could be manufactured here by organized crime people, uh, or it can be manufactured. It started out uh, largely from China and then some from Mexico. Uh, and there were issues because small quantities could come in in the mail and Canada Post cannot look at every you know, package that's less than 10 grams or something. I can't remember the, the, the amounts, but you could, you know, trickle stuff in. Uh, people can order it on the, on the dark web over the internet and, uh, and have it delivered in different ways. So it, the thing with fentanyl, it can be manufactured anywhere now um, here or abroad and, and brought here. So it's, uh, it's definitely an epidemic. And do do you think um, that some of the responsibility for the, for this crisis lies with, Originally, with the pharmaceutical companies that that developed some of these uh, very strong um, uh, synthetic opioids, and you know, in, encouraged the medical community to sort of make use of them, and and uh, in that way, kind of created almost like a, a gateway drug situation to people becoming addicted and then moving on potentially to even uh, harder uh, narcotics. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, the the main example of that is oxycotton. So, uh, when oxy oxys were being prescribed to so many people for pain and different things, uh, uh, you know, several years ago. Now, the original oxy. Now, there's a neo oxy, which is supposed to be less addictive, and you you can't uh, grind it down and use it um, in the same way as the original oxycotton. But so many people have their lives ruined by addictions to to oxy and then other pharmaceutical drugs that, that they spun off to. And uh, and then those are, are available illegally on the streets too. Um, you know, there was, uh, I'm trying to think of the, there were well, there was a time in Northern Ontario where uh, one oxycotton tablet was being sold for uh, $60. I think it was, and and people would cut it into quarters and sell it for uh, $20 a quarter. If they could sell three, they'd get their quarter free. Uh, but $60 a pill, um, if you could get it into, you know, different communities where where addictions were high or the, or the demand was high, and obviously the money was there somehow. So it's, uh, again, it's, it's organized crime. And I was thinking, too, when Joel was asking about Hell's Angels and and mafia and different things. Uh, one of the big players now are the street gangs and uh, Toronto street gangs. When you read about all the violence and the and the shootouts and people being gangs murdering one another, uh, it's largely over the drug trade and uh, over like turf wars, uh, sort of like we used to think of the Bloods and the Cribs having uh, in LA. Uh, that's what's happening here. They're also into human trafficking and anything that can make money. So they're very organized groups very much organized crime as well and uh, so there needs to be uh, a lot of emphasis put on them is there ultimately uh, a solution to this problem is there something that we can do that will, will bring this crisis permanently to an end um in the past uh, certainly the case has been made for decriminalization and legalization that you know that would perhaps be more effective uh, by taking the money out of the equation but but is there an end point to this? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's sort of the product of supply and demand economics and organized crime morphs into wherever they can make money. And uh, 
as long as they can make money off of drugs, they, they will sell drugs and they won't, they won't care if people overdose or die uh, because there'll be someone else, uh, you know, ready to consume that and, and purchase it. So it's, I think it's got to be a multifaceted thing where we try to deal with the addiction issues, um, uh, hopefully more effectively through different service agencies and CMHA on the mental health side. Um, you know, homelessness probably plays into this, especially in some of the some of the larger cities. That's a bit of a stereotype. We don't have as much homelessness here in Halton, but we do have it, um, but not as not to the extent of Toronto or downtown Hamilton. So there are there are there are often mental health issues, uh, you know, coinciding with homelessness and then playing into addictions. But we also have to target. Uh, the major players and we need to seize as much of these drugs as we can that that 15 kilograms of fentanyl uh, could have killed thousands of people if, if you know if it got into the wrong hands at the wrong time so unfortunately there's there's another 15 or 30 or 50 kilograms that uh, we haven't got uh, and, and and resources are torn between all the different things that police services do um I think, I mean, I sort of think hypothetically in the long run as the, you know, uh, the RCMP, you know, reimagine their role in policing across Canada. Uh, I'd like to see them involved in uh, a lot of that, na the national issues such as drugs and, and terrorism, uh, which they do a lot of work. But I think there could be a, a refocusing if, if there wasn't... Uh, they're sort of split sometimes in other provinces doing municipal policing and a whole bunch of other things. Um, and I think maybe we could refocus some of our national resources on, on major crimes. Well, I, I was just going to say we're coming up on a, on a half hour and uh, usually that's our, our cue to, uh, to shut up. <laughs> uh, but I want, I wanted to give uh, uh, you chief Tanner kind of like the last, last word here um, because somebody, somebody might be listening to this podcast and they might know somebody who is, uh, using uh, using drugs, and they they might be concerned for that loved one, um, and I they might be looking they might be wondering what how, how do we prevent them from uh, from having to call the, the Halton PD or, or or paramedics for you know a bad day, and maybe they're, they're I'm going to leave the mic to you, and they might be listening. They might be saying, "Hey, what what can I do to help my 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 friend, my my wife, my husband, whomever." Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, you know, the overdose and the deaths from overdoses, similar to suicides. Uh, everyone looks back after it happens and says, what did I miss and what could I have done differently? So I would urge anyone who thinks that they have a friend or a loved one or anyone uh, that they think is into dangerous sorts of drugs, maybe fentanyl, maybe not. Um, any reach out might help to reach that person. I think uh, most of us... Uh, I think it's human nature, I guess, and certainly in the drug uh, culture, everyone thinks they are uh, immune to these things happening. That, that might have happened to all those other people. It's not going to happen to me. Uh, most of those people thought that same thing. And then it's too late and you can't go back. So we do urge people, if they are, are needing to use drugs, uh, don't do it alone. Um, naloxone is free at pharmacies for people to pick up or for families to pick up. If you think uh, someone in your family or a friend is uh, using drugs, you can have, have naloxone there. It may save some. And it's sort of, uh, ironically, it's similar to learning CPR uh, in this drug world. So 
But I would say anybody could uh, reach out and, and try to warn people. Maybe that one more warning will be the warning that helps someone uh, reach out for addiction counseling and for uh, mental health counseling if it's necessary. So do all you can to stop people from using drugs. Try to take some precautions if you are using them. Um, and and uh, there's no way to know where this stuff is coming from. So you can't trust your drug dealers. You can't trust uh, the people that are manufacturing this stuff. And do you, do you, the only way you can actually be safe is not to touch it. Um, if you are going to touch it, you got to take some precautions. You mentioned something and it just, I'm going to, I'm going to lie to everyone. I, that was not the last question. This is the last question. <laughs> um, safe injection sites. What's your opinion on them uh, for Halton? Yeah, they're actually, um, they're not always safe. They're safer. Um, they make people nervous because nobody wants it in their neighborhood. Uh, we went through the same thing. Uh, I was I was a chief in Belleville for six or seven years and Kingston for four years. Nobody wanted the methadone clinic uh, in downtown Belleville. It, it, uh, it, you've got to be careful where you put some of those things. Um, so there are pros and cons to them, but they are safer. And uh, I certainly agree with that. Um, it's got potential, but a lot of these people are not going to go there. Um, so it, it's not like, uh, uh, if you're using drugs and there's a safe, safer injection site, um, that you're going to go there every day. Um, so it, it does have some benefits, but it's not, uh, the answer to everything. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, uh, chief Steve Tanner for taking, uh, the time on your, uh, your very busy schedule for coming on and just, uh, sharing us and enlightening us a lot. Cause you, you, you opened my mind to a few uh, few things I didn't know about this uh, this issue in our in our backyards, unfortunately. So thank you very much, Steve, uh, for for taking the time to come on the nine hundred five er. No, you're very welcome. Thanks, Roland. Thanks, Joel. It's uh, anytime. Let me know, and uh, I'm all yours. That's it for this episode of the nine hundred five er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. 
The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com.